It's often said that sometimes life imitates art. In the world of organ transplantation, sometimes it seems that a donor match was just supposed to happen. I, at that time, was 49. My donor was 50 when she passed away. My birthday is 12-12. Her birthday is 12-11. She was a director of a special education department in another state, and I've worked in special education all my life and currently in school to be exactly that. That's Kimberly Johnson, a kidney recipient and tireless advocate for Gift of Hope. I'm Marian Shuck, your host for Let's Talk Hope, a podcast devoted to sharing stories and turning tragedies into triumphs. Kimberly, it's my pleasure to welcome you to Let's Talk Hope today. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey as a kidney recipient? Oh, absolutely. And a journey it is. Probably about seven years ago, I was going to pick up my son from college. You know, it was winter break and I was picking him up and we had packed up his whole room and I was on my way home and something just did not seem right. It it was almost like the Energizer bunny just running out of steam. That's how drastic it felt Uh, to the point where by the time we actually got home and I have a son uh, with autism, so he is what they consider he has higher executive functioning skills and he was dying to drive so this was his great opportunity because i could not do it and my son actually finished the drive home for me and i went directly to the hospital so to speed things up a little bit i woke up uh, with a my blood pressure was out of control And I had no choice at that point. I had a catheter inserted, and then all of a sudden, I was on dialysis. Kimberly, I was going to say, so in all this time, you never had any symptoms. And I think that one of the things about kidney disease is, is people don't recognize that there are really not a lot of symptoms prior to. So true, Marian. And let me just share with you, as a mom of a a child with a disability, you kind of learn to deal with little, you know, nuisances because you're so focused on everything else. And I was actually on a high blood pressure medication and taking the medication and just come to find out, as my doctors described it, the medication that I was taking, uh, it just wasn't enough. It was you know, maintaining, but my kidneys were scarring and healing, scarring and healing. And so hindsight is 2020, you know, I'm 50 now. I was 30 when this all happened, 30 plus when this all happened, even in my twenties, um, with the high blood pressure, you just don't know to check every day and kind of, you know, life just kind of moves ahead. And it's about, you know, being an advocate for your health. And so I just stopped taking the medication. Hey, that's enough, right? But it wasn't taking the medication and really checking to see where I was and how things were coming along probably would have helped me to see that maybe I needed to have some intervention. 
And absolutely, can you talk about what that means to check in every day, check in with your numbers? Because a lot of people don't recognize that there are specific numbers that go along with kidney disease that we need to be aware of. We need to have these conversations with our physicians. And can you tell us a little bit about what those are now that you did have to go through dialysis, you did have to go through end-stage renal failure. Mm-hmm. And when we're having our checkups as women, you know, we just think in terms of uh, heart, lungs, you know, just the basic, over, like, we, we hear about, you know, check your breasts, do the mammograms and things like that. But now that after this experience and going through this, what I realized, your creatinine level is so important. It is the measurement to let you know when things are kind of, for lack of a better word, out of whack. A lot of times we're not given the opportunity to learn these things until something is not quite right. Absolutely. And and you're absolutely correct when you say, you know, there are just tests that we have every year but we're not really having discussion about, to your point, what those tests mean. We women, we've been taught all of your gynecological tests are so important because you've been scared into breast cancer. You've been scared into, you know, cervical cancer. You know, you've been scared into all of these tests that are just drilled into us from a young age, but not drilled into us about organ health, internal health in terms of this should be in the top five of testing and discussions you should be having with your with your physicians. And you actually were on dialysis for quite a bit. What was that experience like? When I came into dialysis, I was so unfamiliar with the process. I thought this was for older people, so I had no clue you know, what it looked like, what that meant for my life. And when you're given a diagnosis, and I say diagnosis because that's what dialysis is, it's kind of, hey, here is a, we don't want to call it a life sentence, but we want to say that if you're at the point of dialysis, that means that you need immediate care to save your life. I went to a dialysis center in Alsop, Illinois. My experience wasn't that great because it wasn't explained to me what was going to be happening. And if it was, initially, it was too much information at one time. There was not a process for me to kind of really take it all in and understand who all the players were. And again, Marion, this is where your numbers come in. I didn't know the difference between dry weight and what the nurse was supposed to do, the nutritionist, it just seemed like one big cloud. And knowing that emotionally I was already on a level of anxiety and depression, it was a hard period for me. I can imagine I actually have a brother who is going through the same thing now. He got diagnosed with end-stage renal disease about two years ago undiagnosed hypertension, 20 years, never going to the doctor, regardless of the fact that I'm in healthcare, I have a sister, we have a sister who's a labor and delivery nurse, but as a black man, just refused to go to the doctor. He woke up on dialysis. 
it was quite a challenge for us. Luckily for him, you know, he has three sisters and we're going to be tested, but it took him to your point, quite a bit of time to come to grips with this dialysis diagnosis and the fact that dialysis is a bridge to a transplant. A, a dialysis is necessary to keep you here so that you can get to the ultimate cure, which is a transplant that can put you back to your normal life. And so thank you for sharing just this idea that, yeah, you can be fine one day and then wake up and you're on dialysis and people have no idea what that looks like, nor the challenges, uh, what a dry weight is, what to not have so much fluid, and the fact that the things that we take for granted with our regular life, being able to go to the bathroom, being able to urinate, being able to eat what you want to eat, right? All of those things change when you're on dialysis. My dialysis was brought on by high blood pressure. But we both know that high blood pressure and diabetes are the two leading causes of why people are on dialysis. It doesn't matter why you're on it. It just means that you're now on it and you have to deal with it. But in the community, there's such stigma. So then it's almost like you don't want to share with people uh, your story because they won't understand or, you know, there is a blame factor. And there's also some internal uh, responsibility or accountability that you have to come to yourself. Like you said with your brother, I know for me, I'm a community leader. I'm a mom. I'm a professional. I never stopped working, even though I was on dialysis. I still went at 100 degree speed all the time, but that was what helped me to deal with being on dialysis three times a week, four hours a day. That was just how I dealt with it. I didn't. I actually just went to dialysis, did my four hours. I'm a talker, so I got to know a few people near me, and then I just continued on with my life. But that's not everyone's story. And that's why I became an advocate, because it's not that the system got it wrong necessarily. I just think sometimes it takes uh, the patient experience to help the process along. Absolutely. And I was going to say that, Kimberly, you didn't just take this lying down. Once you had gone through your experience for a little bit, you determined that you needed to become an advocate and you didn't just become an advocate, you know, for dialysis. You became an advocate for Gift of Hope. You became an advocate to help your community understand here's what you need to know about dialysis and transplantation, you really educated yourself to be able to support the communities. Well, thank you, Marion. I try because I'm an advocate for my son. Well, I'm not anymore. My son is amazing. He does have, uh, he's living with autism, but he's graduated college. He's driving, he's doing these things. And I have to tell you, Marion, part of my journey of dealing with dialysis is if, when I saw how hard my son worked and to prove that disability is secondary to who he is. And I knew that this was something that I was going to have to deal with. I was like, if he can do that, I can do this. Once you got to your journey, you said about a year and a half, what was your journey like to your transplant? Well, I was 
told and, and it was disappointing. But what I heard at the end was, yes, Kim, you're on the list. However, your weight may be a little longer than most people. My blood type was pretty rare and that, you know, would increase my time. I think the average wait time that they tell you is six to eight years. Is that correct? And they told me it was going to be eight to 10. So I had to prepare myself mentally. So then I had to go back to my faith again. And I was like, you know, I just believe in prayer. I'm not going to go into religion and different things like that, but prayer is part of my life. I have to say it out loud. I journal a lot and I pray. I'm not perfect, so I don't want anybody to think that. I don't pray every day. I wish I did. I mean, I do get, you know, my mind gets convicted when I don't pray. I wake up in the morning and say thank you, but I mean really pray. So there was a point after two or three years, Marion, that I was like, wow, I got six more years (laughs) on this list, right? I was at a, a retreat. It wasn't a a religious retreat. It was just a women's empowerment for something totally different. And I heard the speaker say that if you want something, you have to say it out loud. And I realized that I had never said out loud to anyone, even in my prayer, that I needed a kidney. So when I went to church, I was at someone else's church. I felt so bad for that um, congregation because I was just telling everybody I needed a kidney that Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) So I was on someone else's altar. I think it was Autism Awareness Sunday. And I was up there. And when I looked up, I was like, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. Everybody else has left, right? Two weeks later, my doctor called and told me he had a kidney for me. I was driving down 87th in state. I was coming off the expressway and my doctor called me. I don't know if he should have told me to pull over. He didn't know I was on the I was driving. <laughs> but my son uh, needed uniforms and I was taking him to Burlington to get some uniform. And when he called, he said, Kim, you're not, I can't even believe it. I have great news for you. And to me, I'm thinking, oh, okay, I moved up on the list. I mean, something, you know, nothing about an actual kidney. I was like, okay, maybe, maybe the uh, guy just giving me two more years off my little life sentence time, right? (laughs) (laughs) So he said, we have a kidney and you need to get here in four hours. And I told you I was driving, right? And I should have pulled over, but it didn't. (laughs) (laughs) And immediately I just started screaming like, what? (laughs) And he was like, calm down. Are you driving? And I said, and believe me, I I told you I was, by this time I was like 81st in state. I literally started driving three miles per hour. I was like, let me pull over. So, and my son was like, what is going on with you? I did a U-turn so fast. I dropped him off at my parents, went home, grabbed my bag, and was on my way to the hospital. And my mother said, oh, you're going to go by yourself? (laughs) (laughs) All I know is y'all take it too long. But I was, I just kept telling uh, my doctor, thank you, thank you, thank you. He said, well, you can thank me when you get here. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. So I said, okay. And I just started screaming. And that was, I have to tell you something. That was a moment that I'm sure anyone who's received anything that is life-saving feels the same way. But the tears wouldn't stop. I, I cried all the way home. I cried all the way to the hospital. I cried all the way until they probably sedated me in surgery, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have heard that. I, I have heard that. And so tell us, what was it like when you woke up and recognized and realized that you had a kidney and that there would be no more dialysis for you? I woke up crying, Mary. <laughs> no, actually, when I woke up, I have to tell you that I felt the area, and I know you've if you've had the experience of giving birth when you have a baby, the first thing you do is like, is my stomach flat again? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> and it's not. So the first thing I did was feel the area where they made the incision. Like, I don't know what I thought was supposed to happen. I was like, was well, there a baby going to be there? And, you know, it was just a cut. But I have, because I was on such a high, but I felt no pain. But I had pain. I'm telling you, because it came later. <laughs> yes. But I felt no pain. I felt like, a, I promise you, I felt like I could float on air. I was just so thankful. I mean, if I could have jumped off that bed and got on my knees and started thanking God again, I would have. So I just like started praying. I was like, God, this is unbelievable, right? Because remember, my sentence was eight to 10 years. Yes. Here it is. I had only been on the list for two years with my credit, three years, right? Mm-hmm. And so I have to tell you, I don't know if you have uh, experience, but or if you have this, I have a charm bracelet and it's a Pandora charm bracelet. Mm-hmm. And I had only one charm on my bracelet because I was like, oh, this hobby is expensive. <laughs> 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 and so I said, you know what, I'm going to start my bracelet with my journey from the time that I received my transplant. So I named my kidney, and that's something traditionally a lot of people do, but I named my kidney Faith. Okay. And I bought a charm that says Faith, and it has a cross on it. And since then, you'll be happy to know I have about 20 charms. Thank you, because it was looking really bare around here. (laughs) (laughs) But... um. I named my kidney Faith because it was the first time in my life where I really had to depend on my faith, where I really had to dig deep and trust that the trust the process and trust God. You know, we always talk about in our spiritual lives how we are such we do this, we do that. I mean, I really had to give everything because, you know, transplantation, dialysis, this life is not in your control. And so I just had to trust the process. And I knew that while I was over here trying to figure it out, God had worked it out. But when I saw his awesome power and how he worked it out, 
Oh, it was so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm crying tears of joy because unless you experience it, it's, I can't explain it. It is a moment. I understand. I want to thank you also for telling me about Pandora being an expensive proposition. So I have to call my brother and thank him because he actually bought us bracelets a couple years ago and he gives us charms and I've never added to it. Uh, So I I will thank him. Thank him, Marion, because if he's giving out two and three and then tell him to add me to the list. I will. And the other interesting thing is, so I will call him today and thank him for that. And I will start wearing that bracelet more often. (laughs) And, you know, it's funny. The first charm he got us was the tree of life. Yes. For being the women in his life. Um, But so tell me, you've got your transplant. You're doing well. Has there ever been any indication about who your donor was, if you're going to have an opportunity to meet your donor family? What has that experience been like? And what did you say to your donor family after you woke up just in, as you say, in prayer and being thankful for them making the decision to donate? I said in my prayer when I woke up, I don't know who you are, but thank you. Thank you. And, and I promise that I'm going to advocate for people to be donors. I know that I've always been the type of person who said, I don't know, maybe it's the advocacy. When they ask you, are you going to donate? My answer is always yes. I don't have a reason not to. So I always say yes. But I didn't realize that so many people said no. So since I'm the person who loves to beat the odds, I heard after, you know, when you have a transplant, there's a period of disbelief that you go through and uh, you kind of have a, I don't want to say survival, you know, you're leaving your friends behind. These are people that you saw three days a week, every week. And I was on the shift with them. And then unfortunately, right behind my transplant, uh, COVID happened. So I couldn't even go visit them. <laughs> and these are people that I, um, you know, because of HIPAA laws, you couldn't get phone numbers for them. And, you know, and you kind of feel like, you know, and I know it sounds like you should just be happy and grateful, and I am. But it's like, why me and not them, you know? Why can't we all just get a transplant? Right. I, well, I'm working on that. You know, that's that's the reason Gift of Hope is here, right? That's the reason we do the advocacy that we do is to help people understand the process of donation, help people to say yes to donation. Yes, And I'm so grateful for you guys, Miriam, because, you know, I actually, um, for the last couple of years, I've been working with the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. And, you know, it's been great. So now I've, you know, been for the gift of hope. And I'll share with you with my donor story. What what happened was uh, I heard so many stories of while people sent letters to their donor families Mm -hmm. and then they don't respond. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know what, if they don't, I have to write that letter for me. Yes. Because I have to say thank you. I don't care if they ever respond. I don't care if they don't read. I hope they do. But I had to write that letter for me. I sat down, 
over maybe a week's period. And I shared a little bit about like who I was and about my son and about my journey and what being on dialysis felt like. I shared with them what having a new kidney felt like and that they gave me a second chance at life. And I was grateful and I was so sorry. And I know that unfortunately, while I am having, I'm happy and this is celebration time for me, I realized that this was a period of, you know, grieving for them. And I just wanted them to know that they were in my prayers. And if they wanted to share anything with me about her, that, uh, and I would love to meet them one day. It took about, that was right before uh, Christmas. And I, I also sent the um, a charm with um, just the, my name and some uh, donation date, et cetera. Uh, it wasn't something that, you know, I mean, it was, it was, it, it was more meaningful than expensive, but it meant a lot to me. Mm-hmm. So maybe about six months later, I got a response and awesome. <laughs> and even my kidney team couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And I was, oh, and I sent them lifesavers, mm-hmm. uh, packs of lifesavers. Yes. Because I said, you know, they, she was a lifesaver to me or he or whoever, you know. Mm-hmm. So the donor's father wrote me back. And <laughs> I just told you, if if you were to tell people that I cried this much, they would not believe you. But I cried all through that letter, just like I cried to the hospital back and through the surgery. <laughs> yes. Yes. And he, uh, the father wrote me. And he said to me that he was very thankful, but at this time, you know, they were grieving and that um, he was so happy to hear my story. And he was compelled to write back because there were so many similarities between uh, he, I mean, between myself and his wife. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll share those similarities and not share the name because I do know it now, but, and I was so grateful. And he sent a picture of her. Mm-hmm. which was really um, meant a lot to me. And he shared enough details that I could go look up some stuff on the internet. Yep. <laughs> okay. So let me tell you, okay, so I know you're not ready for this, Marion. <laughs> I am. <laughs> so I, at that time, was 49. My donor was 50 when she passed away. Okay. My birthday is 12-12. Her birthday is 12-11. Oh, wow. She was a director of a special education uh, department in another state. Okay. And I've worked in special education all my life and currently in school to be exactly that. Okay. (laughs) Unfortunately, um, it it was just like, you got to be kidding me, right? Mm -hmm. Um, we had she we got married the same year. Okay. <laughs> and I was just so like my mouth was open. Mm-hmm. And we were a year apart and he put in his letter, I'm sure that you both would have been the best of friends. Absolutely. That is so incredible when you think and you hear oftentimes that people say life imitates art. Well, in this case, life imitates science, right? The science of donation. And it's just, you know. Marion, that's awesome. That's 
I'm still in that one. <laughs> well, you gonna hear me? You gonna hear me saying this on somebody else's podcast? <laughs> Marion, I'm saying Marion told me that life imitates science. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, I think I'm gonna have to go patent that. Yeah. What, see, no, I'm just kidding. I would never do that. No, we might have to do that. Kimberly, I I just want to tell you, it has been a pleasure to have you on the podcast today and to hear your amazing story. And are there any last things that you want the listening audience to know and to understand about your, your journey? To believe in your strength and power. Trust that even when you think there's nothing left, there's more left. And that through this process, you're going to have to dig deep sometimes uh, just to get through a day. But in the end, it is worth it because your life matters, who you are matters, and whatever spiritual or uh, belief you believe in, lean on it like never before. And trust the process and just remember that dialysis and and transplantation and all of the things that are coming at you at one time is not your life. That you have to focus on what do you where do you want to get to, not where you are right now. I love it. Thank you so much for being here today. And I wish you well, and I can't wait to meet you. I can't believe that you've been working with NKFI all this time and we haven't met, but I am looking forward to meeting you soon, uh, COVID or no COVID. I'm so delighted for your journey and thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you so much, Mary. It's been my pleasure. I've only been in this advocacy world for a little while, and I have really enjoyed our conversation. You said it was going to be like girlfriends, and you stayed true to that. So I can't wait to meet you. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Hope, where we encourage you to start the conversation about organ and tissue donation with your loved ones today and make your wishes known. You can register to become a donor at giftofhope.org. Hello, Tina Montgomery, Supervisor Community Outreach. In my role, I'm responsible for raising awareness and educating the community about organ, eye, and tissue donation. Daily, I'm asked a lot of questions about the donation process and how has it actually worked. So, we've added these questions to our big spinning wheel and we're gonna answer some audience questions for you. So let's give the wheel a big spin. And it is going around and around and around. And it is stopped on question number six. Question number six asks, are there costs associated with organ tissue donation? I know cost is always a factor when we're talking about medical expenses, but there is no cost to the donor family or its estate for donation. Gift of Hope covers all costs associated with the donation. The donor family pays only for medical expenses before death and costs associated with funeral arrangements. Organ donation is a gift. It is illegal in the United States to buy or sell organs or tissues. Thank you for that wonderful question. Look out for us on Donation Facts on our next time we come around, where we'll be putting more questions on the wheels and answering more questions about Donation Facts. Thank you.
If you like what you've heard today, we hope that you will listen again wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Let's Talk Hope was produced by Rivet. And if you'd like to hear more great podcasts, please visit rivet360.com.